Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. And I am super excited today to tell you that we have with us Debbie Majoris from Procter & Gamble. Hi, Debbie. Hello, Cindy. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. Thank you for having me. You are more than welcome. Debbie and I have uh, fortunately known each other for for several years, um, but let me tell you a little bit about Debbie and her varied experiences and um, give you a sense of what you're going to hear today. She has a very diverse legal career. She served in the corporate, the governmental, and in the law firm sectors. She currently serves as the chief legal officer and secretary for Procter & Gamble, and she joined that company in about 2008. She has also served on the board of directors of Valero Energy Corporation since 2012. But in her full-time role as chief legal officer at P&G, she oversees a global legal department of, get this, about 600 lawyers and other professionals who are responsible, as you can imagine, for a very broad scope of uh, legal and government relations functions. And they service all of P&G's operations, which would include 118,000 employees. So it's a really big job. Now, as corporate secretary, she serves as the primary resource to the directors for governance, securities, and process issues, and she is a member of the company's Global Leadership Council. Prior to that, she was uh, chairman of the FTC for about four years, from 04 to 08, and during her tenure, she focused on things that are interestingly still in the news and coming back into the news these days, data security, protecting consumers from emerging fraud, such as identity theft and spyware, and she served as co-chair of the President's Identity Theft Task Force. Prior to the FTC, she also served as the U.S. Department of Justice Antitrust Division in the U.S. Department of Justice Antitrust Division from 01 to 03, um, first as Deputy Assistant Attorney General and then as Principal Deputy. And her career as an attorney began with a clerkship for the Honorable Stanley S. Harris on the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. And following that two-year clerkship, she joined the international law firm Jones Day, becoming a partner in 1999. Debbie graduated from Westminster College in her home state of Pennsylvania in 85. She earned a Bachelor of Arts degree there, and she earned a law degree in 89 from the University of Virginia, where she graduated Order of the Coif and was an articles editor on the Virginia Law Review. Well, thank you for being with us today. I'm excited to have you here and to have the chance to talk with you about your own experiences and and kind of seeing how the field of business ethics and integrity and corporate governance and ESG generally has really evolved over the years. And and I'll say for both of us, probably about 20, 25 years ago, nobody was really talking that much about, you know, business ethics or ESG or, you know, responsible business growth. It just, it just really wasn't a topic. Um, but I, I have a sense that there were some companies that it wasn't, um, it wasn't a strange topic too, if you will. It may just not have been making headlines. And to me, P&G was one of those companies. 
um, especially when I go back and reflect on um, PNG's values and, and purpose and um, the principles that you have. Can you tell us a little bit about that and whether or not this is something new for PNG or not? Sure. Uh, thanks again for having me, Cindy. It's a really important topic. Um, yeah, so um, interestingly, you know, we do call um, our foundation of our company, our PVPs, our purpose, values, and principles. And really, they've been in place for many decades in, in some form. But really and truly, if you go back to the founding of the company in 1837, Mr. Proctor, Mr. Gamble, one made candles, one made soap, came together on a handshake um, and started this business. And there's a quote from James Gamble that we still use today. And, um, and I'll read it to you. He said, if you cannot make pure goods and full weight, go to something else that is honest, even if it is breaking stone. So that was, I mean, you know, that was foundational to, to, to him who founded the company. Yeah. And, um, and so, so we have these, um, we have these PVPs and I think the key to it, Cindy, is it's not a slogan. When I interviewed with P&G, it was amazing to me how senior executives I was talking to were just constantly throwing in the PVPs as a really important part of the culture. And it was yeah. very natural for them. It wasn't like a put on, right? right. It was very natural. Right. I had to go look up what it was. I certainly had done research on the company, but I hadn't shortened it to PVP. So I had to figure out what they were talking about. But, but it's, it's, been that, um, it's been that foundational to us. Yeah. And um, on our employee survey, every year when we ask the question, what is the one thing you would not change about the company? Mm -hmm. Overwhelmingly, that's what our employees talk about. Do wow. not change that. And that's important to the culture. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Right. But it's a very, but it's a strong starting point. And frankly, one of the things that attracted me to the company. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. And I see that. And, and in fact, there are so many long tenured employees at PG because I think that PVP, <laughs> those PVPs kind of ground the, them. They feel comfortable. They can be who they are and, and, and bring their whole selves to work and, and ground themselves in a culture that feels comfortable to them. So I've, I've always admired that about the company. I actually think it's one thing too that, that P&G and, and Walmart actually shared um, because you yes. find so many people at Walmart, same way. It's it isn't just a culture that um, is written, you know, on a code somewhere, or posters on the board. You can feel when you talk to the senior leaders at Walmart that they they live it, and mm -hmm. it probably goes back to you know the very beginnings of both companies and the wonderful relationship that developed from there. But I would say for many companies that these issues have become more central these mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think changed that made them more central? Can you identify a particular tipping point? Yeah, I'm not sure I can identify one, but I think there's been I think there's been a number of things, you know, happening in in the environment that um, that have made it so. Um, you know, some of it's carrots, some of it's sticks. I mean, starting with the stick part, um, you know, the um, if, if we look at corporate scandals that have happened over time. Um, I don't know that there's more of them, but they're a lot more public now than they ever have been, yeah, right? I know. Where, where things might've been at one point confined to the business pages on, you know, in particular media today, it's, um, it's in, you know, it's in popular media, it's in social media. 
And so, um, and so when something happens, it's just a lot more um, out there and, yeah. um, and, and, and companies are seeing that. It's something that I try to tell the employees at Proctor, number one, don't gloat. That's dangerous. <laughs> Learn. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> Number two, learning from someone else's mistakes is a lot less painful than learning from your own. And, um, and so I, you know, I think, I think, I think companies do, and I think they see that for those who don't, I mean, we've had a series of, you know, fairly significant pieces of legislation that have been passed over time, right. From Sarbanes-Oxley post Enron right. um, to, to Dodd-Frank and, 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 and some in between. And so that's another part of the stick, you know, if you're not going to, if you're not going to get this message, then we're, we'll, we'll, we'll take the message to you. The other thing we see, though, um, uh, we see investors pushing um, even more on these issues. Yeah. In, investors certainly cared about them in the past if it meant, um, you know, significant fines and, and time and distraction away from the core business. But I think today, as we, you know, the, we talk um, about ESG, um, environmental, social governance, and how that whole body of work for companies has become so important to so many investors. You can't forget that governance piece, that stewardship piece. It's kind of hard to be out there saying that you're doing good for the world if you're not, you know, minding your own ethics um, back um, back at the shop, right? Yeah. And so, so I think I think that has. And then finally, I, I would just say another trend, you know, Cindy. It's just it's just populism, and 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 some of that has led to just more and more distrust of institutions, and um, and the need for corporations to earn trust um, in a way that I think is different than than has been um, in the past. Yeah, but I think that's that's a good change. I think it is too. I think that that um, that has really. I think we see that change, I should say, uh, through some different things like the Business Roundtable's recent change and their statement of what the purpose of a corporation really is and moving you know, away from the Milton Friedman example, which is, which is still talked about a lot in business schools, right? And that the, the shareholder reigns supreme to more of the stakeholder theory. Yes. Um, populism generally thinking about all the stakeholders. And, and again, I think there are companies probably many that were already kind of doing that, you know, and, and, yes. and um, I know Walmart was certainly one and, and P&G is another example that kind of balancing all of the stakeholder interests, but for the business roundtable to come out and make it an explicit statement, I think is important um, because it not only says, well, this is just the way we do it. It kind of formalizes it, you know, for mm -hmm. 181 of the world's largest corporations. Let me ask you this. Do you think that that model is here to stay the focus on stakeholders now? And if so, why? I do, I do think it's here to stay. Uh, first of all, I will tell you from, from my perspective, and again, it, it, it could well be because of where I sit in Procter & Gamble and the way we have viewed stakeholders. I think this, that was, that was a, a step on this journey as opposed to, a, as opposed to a, any kind of U-turn. Yeah. Because, because my feeling, in fact, it, it, um, I might have changed just a word or two, tweaked a word or two in that statement. But you know, my view is: look, it, even to the Friedman point, if you are serving the long-term interests of shareholders, you must necessarily serve the interests of these stakeholders, right? Right. right. I don't, I, I, you know, because I don't see I don't see these as either or. Right. Um, I see them as ands. 
And yep. so, um, and I think, you know, and that, and that I think is, is, is why our company did, um, it did sign the statement. Um, but, but why do I think it's here to stay? Um, I think, I think one of the main reasons it's here to stay is because um, I do believe that government people feel that government governments are failing them. And that starts at home. We have so much dysfunction in our government. Doesn't matter which party you want to affiliate with, if, if at all, it doesn't matter if there's dysfunction and people see it and it affects them in their lives. And so, so institutions and people are turning to other, other uh, big uh, organizations like corporations and saying, we need your help. We need you to step up. Yeah. It's really fascinating, Cindy. If you look at some of the trust barometers, corporations are actually doing better these days, right? For the longest time, we felt like we were just down like this. Yeah. And I think, um, and, and, and that's, a good, that's a good thing too, but I think the expectations of us now are high and um, and I just don't I just don't see that going away. I just can't see it going back to, yes, we've we've done all we can do to help solve the world's problems. Now we're going to retreat and go back. I I just can't see that ever ever happening. There's just too many problems in the world, and we're among the largest employers, and we and we um, we have a voice, and we have a lot of smart people. And so here we are. Let's help solve problems. Yeah, and I actually feel like the world's problems today are so large that they almost can't be solved. Well, the pandemic kind of <laughs> illustrated that, you know, yeah. but they cannot be solved without a strong partnership between yes. business and government and, you know, other areas. So some of the trust barometers that, you know, Edelman's done their trust barometer report for like 20 years now. And, yep. and you know, they've got, they've got corporations that are seen as the most competent, so furthest to the right, much most more so than the other institutions in society. Um, but needing to, with that, becomes the expectation that you're going to hold out your hand and bring the others along because there's not one segment of society anymore is sort of what they found that can solve all the problems. So you need yes. a partnership, right? Mm -hmm. And you got to figure yes. out how to collaborate. And the expectation, I think, is on business to do that. So yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And it's frustrating sometimes when, when we do encounter you know, sometimes people in the public sector that sort of are, they look at it as a complete dichotomy. You know, you're in business, you're this kind of person, we're serving the public, we're this kind. That, that I think is a dangerous viewpoint. And I agree with you that um, partnerships, including public-private partnerships, are going to be really important to us going forward if we're going to solve some of these problems. Yeah, in nonprofit sector as well. I mean, it's all 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 parts kind of need to be working together. Do you have any good examples of how P and G has um, similar to their PPV um, or PVP? I got it wrong. Sorry, yeah, that's <laughs> their okay. PVPs. That's okay. <laughs> how uh, how uh, you guys have put this business roundtable statement um, into action so that people can understand it? Do you have some examples? I do. I do. You know, we, we look at it and we say that we want to be a, a force for good and a force for growth. And, um, and the way we start thinking about, about that is, is thinking about how to build in um, those kind of good works, if you will, into the strategy of our business. I mean, you know this, Cindy, from being in a company that if you bring anything in, including whether it's ethics or, and you bolt it on top of something that's already baked, <laughs> it's just, it just doesn't get there. Nope. And we find that the best way to do that and really get it, make part of the strategy is to ask ourselves as we do 
um, with the rest of our business strategy. You know, what are we good at? What's our equity? Where do we, where would we best have a voice? And so for us, of course, advertising is a huge piece, right? We're at any given time, the largest or one of the largest advertisers uh, in the world. And so we have an advertising voice. So for example, you may have seen um, that we've used that voice um, significantly in the area of racial equality. Yes. Um, and um, gender equality and um, sexual orientation equality. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, some of those ads um, have been, you know, controversial, right? Um, really show that we're that we've stepped into a different era because you will recall the time where corporations said that's a big no no you don't go there um, that's right right and now it's look we stand for equality and we have a voice so we're going to talk about it and we're going to provoke difficult conversations true that you get sometimes a shareholder writes and says that's it I've sold my stock um, sometimes you get consumers who say I'm no longer buying your product. Um, but again, we believe that sitting on the sidelines on such important issues is far worse, um, uh, far worse for society, but far worse for our shareholders and other stakeholders. So that's one example. Other examples really go directly to the products we make. So for example, we make feminine care products and we're very, very engaged in a campaign um, that, that we call Ending Period Poverty, which is to help make sure that girls um, here and around the world have the products that they need because yeah. frankly when they don't they leave school for seven days that's and right they, and sometimes they don't come back right right so so that's um so that's um uh, uh you know an area where we, where we um again have some equity and therefore um we think we can we can play we we are very involved in disaster relief mm-hmm. um if you think about it when you're you're in a disaster and you have to leave your home what do you need? Well, you need cleaning products, right? right you, for right, yourself right. and your, you know, you need clean clothes. We, we have, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but we have these massive tractor trailers with tide on the side full of washing machines and dryers. And we literally go to the shelters where people have been misplaced and offer to wash their clothes for them. Wow. It's amazing how much people love to have clean clothes. It, ju- it yeah. just helps you say like, I got up today and I could right. actually put on a clean pair of jeans, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, so that's another, so disaster relief is another area that we've, um, that we've been a big, that we've been a big part of. And there yeah. are others, but um, yeah. uh, those, are, three, the, those yeah. are great. I love the advertising one in particular. And so uh, we actually used one of those videos, the look. Uh, last fall, because we did a whole program called um, "Let's Talk About Integrity and Race," and mm-hmm. and um, made it available to the community and to the students and the staff and the faculty, and that was one of the videos that uh, that we used because it just it was great um, in terms of its really bringing to light some I think difficult issues. Thank so you. let's um, let's let's talk about COVID for a minute. Obviously uh, cleaning supplies in general and, and other things being home more um, in the uh, consumer goods uh, categories were very good for P&G through COVID. Um, you had a great last three months, which is you know to be commended um, 8% rise in overall sales and 30% jump in consumer demand for home cleaning products during the pandemic, which was, which is fantastic on the financial results side. Um, but let's talk about the rest of the story, if you will, as, because there's so much more to it than just that. Um, and it's the human side of it. So in leading a company through this, certainly helping to lead a company through this, 
what did you kind of learn about integrity and trust and responsible growth by going through this once in a lifetime pandemic? Yeah, it certainly was an intense experience. Um, and it's um, not over, we should say, but a year in, what have you learned? <laughs> yes, yes, it's not over. It's not over for sure. Well, the first thing really that we learned was that you have to set, you have to set priorities. Um, and our CEO set three priorities based very intensely on our values. The first is we focus on the health and safety of our employees. That's number one. Number two was we do everything we can to be to continue operating so we can make pack ship health and hygiene products, cleaning products, um, uh, supplies that people need. And then third was we will step up and be there for our communities as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And you know it's it's such an amazing thing. I mean, good people are are great in crisis, right? I mean, it, it it's incredible. Um, but we've been through crises before. So the other thing that we did as an executive team is, and I loved this because it's it's recognizing that people can really step up in crisis, but they can also be under a different kind of pressure. And and our job when it comes to ethics and doing the right thing is to make it easiest for them to do it, right? And, and to not make it so hard. So we took lessons that had been learned in the past and put them into a playbook that we, that we used with our people on, you know, here's how, here's how we think about things when, we're, when, when consumers are going through great difficulty and so forth. Things around um, making sure that we just have the highest integrity in our claims and advertising thinking about um, our pricing and, and how, to, how to deal with that and so forth. Yeah. So a lot of different things there. Um, and and I mean, you, you saw the results, right? We, we, we prioritized those things and we still, we did well. You know, it's kind of the, the classic saying, do well, or I'm sorry, do good and you'll do well. And, yeah. and, I, and yeah. I think we showed that the two are certainly not, um, not inconsistent and probably actually quite consistent. Um, and then, you know, the other thing I would say that that we really learned about um, about trust um, is how important it is to be out there earning it every day with all of your stakeholders. So when I look at what unfolded in this pandemic, we start. It started in China and then came across the rest of the world. We learned a lot in China about how to keep the employees in the plant safe and keep them working. The government wanted them working because the government wanted those products getting to the people. So we learned a lot about how to do that. We shared that playbook with governments across the rest of the world. And at any given time, I think we only were down by maybe 2% um, uh, at, our, at, our plant, at our plants worldwide mm-hmm. at any given time. Mm-hmm. And, and really and truly, when I look back on it, Cindy, it's because we had built up a strong reputation with governments that we could be trusted, right? Mm -hmm. So when we said to them, trust us, we will keep these employees safe and we will get these products out the door for the consumers who so desperately need them. You know, Mm -hmm. we had built enough up that, that, that they did trust us and we were able to do it. So if you think about then the future of, of, um, responsible business, trust, business ethics and integrity, if you, if you only had three words to describe what you think the future of that will be, what would those three words be? Proactive. Yeah. It's not, um, 
it's, it's just, it's not going to work. I don't believe in creating value for your company and creating value for society to sit back and wait to see what government regulation tells you that your, that your compliance and ethics need to look at, or even, or even necessarily um, just, you know, waiting for best practices for bigger companies to emerge. I think it takes, I think it takes proactive. It takes being proactive and thinking it through. Mm-hmm. I think the second would be respect. So it'd be proactivity, respect, and humility. Mm-hmm. I think it's respect because honestly, you know, Cindy, I've been doing this a while now. You you know from how long you work with employees that if you look at ethical breakdowns, there's a fair percentage of them that could have been um, prevented. Yeah. If people were just respecting others, respecting yeah. others around them and, 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 and respecting um, stakeholders, yeah. um, you know, we talk about that a lot, like, you know, okay, you're asking me what's the law here or whatever. Let me, let me ask you a different question. Right. What, what do you think a consumer would want from you? Right? right. And if you respect that consumer, where does that lead you? Yeah. I think respect is an important one. Yeah. And then finally, humility. Look, I, I'm big on um, ethics and compliance and doing it right takes humility. I mentioned earlier, I tell people don't gloat about others when they do get into hot water. Um, the, the problem is if we're arrogant about ethics and compliance, then it sounds like we start to divide the world into good people and bad people. But yeah. really, with, with some exceptions at the margins, yeah. it's really just people and which way are they going to pivot? You know, and and if you read, um, I read, you know, a lot of books about um, about the slippages because I want to understand. Right. And and they generally start with a tiny step down the slippery slope, right? Right. And what I try to tell our people and myself, frankly, is every one of us is capable of taking that tiny step. So, so speaking of business schools um, and just higher education in general, what are the a few things that you think are are most important for those institutions to be um, kind of trans transferring over to the students to prepare them better to live in this world that you and I have just talked about that probably isn't going to change, where you know ESG and balancing of the, of the stakeholders is all going to be a part of it. What do business schools um, need to be doing most importantly to prepare students for this world that's disruptive in some ways, but in other ways needs to remain quite constant when you think about trust and integrity? Yeah. Well, I think first, um, my sense, and I obviously don't know business school curricula like you do, Cindy, but my sense is that for too long, um, it was, here's your, all your core business classes, and then you take an ethics class over here. And um, it, it's possible that, that, that that's not true anymore. But, but I do think it's really important that, um, that uh, business ethics and thinking through the, the right thing to do should be baked, in my view, should be baked into all of the different business classes. They should be part of all of them, right? Because it's actually unrealistic to think that you're going to do case studies on, you know, this kind of thing or, you know, whether to make this product or whether to do, and and that those issues aren't going to come up because they always come up. Yeah, they do. I know. Always. Yes. And, And the companies that do it best are the companies that have those discussions during the overall strategy and then deployment, right? And they don't wait to the end and then run in and ask legal, can we do this? Right. right. 
but it's that that's that's a bad way to do it. As, as I told my people when I first started this job, if that's what you do, then I only have two answers I can give, yes or no. No. I, I'd rather give the answer of wait a minute, tell me what you want to accomplish, and then uh -huh. let's think that through together. Yeah. Yeah. That that's what happens in the real world. So when yeah. you're doing um, case studies and problem solving in business school, better to have that all um all together, I think. And then the second thing is, um, and this I admit is, it's kind of a, maybe a little personal thing for me, and I'm not even sure exactly how you do it, except maybe just raising it with people to think about. You know, yeah. one of the things, um, Cindy, that we really had to think a lot about in law school was how do we separate our own views of what justice might look like from what the law requires? And, mm -hmm. and why is it sometimes that you know, there may be results that we don't think are the perfect results from a justice standpoint, but the overall system depends on us being a nation of laws and not a nation of individual viewpoints, right? I mean, broadly. One of the things that we see in ESG is that, is that um, we have to really learn, this is just one area more than any I've ever seen, where being able to separate your personal views and passions Mm -hmm. from what the company ought to be doing is such an important thing to be able to do. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think, I think for folks being trained in business, having the chance to think through some of those dilemmas, because the world will continue to demand more of you as you get out of business school. You can't do everything that everyone would ask of you, right? Serving all of your stakeholders doesn't mean you say yes to every single thing right. that right. you're asked to do. Right. And how do you how do you determine that similarly to how you determine what products you're going to sell and not sell, right? Um, and what services you'll provide or not. So I just think I, I think too getting that in part of the traditional conversations, um, I think will be a real help to people as they as they get out and and, and into jobs. Yeah, woven throughout, integrated, and and not sort of stacked on or bolted on or off on the side for for both yeah. of those. Yeah, super important, I think. Debbie, this has been a very rich and wonderful conversation. Thank you so yeah. much for your time. I always like to end on a fun question. I know you've been super busy dealing with COVID, but I do wonder if in a little bit of free time that you may have had, if you've been watching anything fun or, or reading anything just you know, kind of as a release, but it also had an ethical dilemma somewhere embedded in there that you might recommend to our audience um, that they could either read or watch. <laughs> well, you know, it's really funny because um, at, at the start of COVID, my husband said to me, you know, you're going to have to start watching some TV and movies because I had really gotten, other than sports, which I love, especially right. golf, I just didn't like many shows. And so all these things on Netflix and all these things, you know, I would hear people talk about them and I knew what they were, but I never watched. Yeah. So he got me hooked on the crown. <laughs> 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 and I, well, and I love, I mean, even in my reading, I read a lot of history and I read a lot of historical fiction because um, I really enjoy it. And I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned in, in, in history and, and um, uh, what to do and what not to do. And so, um, so anyway, the crown is terrific. And I do think there's ethical dilemmas in the crown. You know, we can look at some of them today and say, well, that really shouldn't have been an ethical dilemma. But for example, um, you know, when the queen's sister wanted to um, wanted to marry someone who had been divorced, and that was um, that was forbidden by the Church of England, 
Um, and you know, the queen really felt her duty to uphold um, to uphold that, and also um, is co is constantly looking at what's best for the monarchy and the country, right. as right. opposed to just what's best yeah. for our family or an individual family member. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, again, you can look back at it now and say, well, that didn't, you know, but but that's with today's lens, right? You have mm -hmm. to look at it through through that lens, and so you yeah. see that throughout the series where she where she goes through these dilemmas um, yeah, about yeah. personal versus yeah. um, versus what's best for the overall. Um, yeah. And, and you know, you can tell that they believe that that preserving the monarchy is also best for the country. Best for um, the country, yeah. Yeah, yeah those were yeah. great. And, and some real personal ones, just like, you know, the relationship that she had with her husband, you know, Philip, yeah. does he go down the plane first when they are gonna get off the plane? Yes. Or does, does she go first? And it's very awkward <laughs> back in that day, right? For, yeah. for him to allow her to go first, but she was the queen. She represented the monarchy. And so, you know, there's that and the relationship yeah. with her sister. Yeah, I totally agree yeah. that personal and putting personal aside, uh, preserve the what she they believed was best with the power of the yeah. monarchy that's a great one this has been a fantastic conversation thank you very very thank much you. for your time appreciate it well thank you I've, I've enjoyed it i always enjoy seeing you cindy and i i wish all of the all of the listeners um uh you know truly um good health and um and good luck in your studies and as you get into your careers well thank you all right, everyone, that's a wrap for this week, but join us back next week for another episode of The Biz with another very exciting guest. We'll see you then. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, the Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E, BIS, which stands for the Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.